You can be a complete Christian. <clears throat> Do you realize that <clears throat> there are 250 different psychotherapies out there? Right now, uh, what's the aim of psychotherapy? Why do you go to a psychotherapist? To get better, to get yourself sorted out, to get yourself to the place where you're a whole being, uh, able to live in a whole world. But there are 250 different kinds out there, probably more, to be honest with you, by now. Many of them in conflict, right? In conflict with each other. So if you want to be whole, you go and pick one and you go and see a particular psychiatrist and your psychiatrist works you through very often the latest fad. Now, I know uh, a psychiatrist would, would hate me for saying that, but that's exactly what they do. They work you through the latest fad. And when it's proven that it doesn't work very well, then what they do is uh, they move on to the next one. And the one they're using at right now is always the one that's going to help. But there are 250 of them out there. You know what that tells you? They really don't know. They're guessing. Now, when it comes to what goes on in our mind or our psyche or whatever you want to call it, uh, really, they don't know. They dish out drugs, um, and the, the, the drugs basically give somewhat of a right effect, usually with a whole load of wrong effects, right? They call side effects. Uh, but they give you those drugs, and they say, now, listen, uh, this is helping you. And then after a while, they say, well, you know, that's not helping you. Let's give you another one. I know one man, and he's constantly on a numerical drug. And he's honestly, uh, yeah, he, he's just a guinea pig is what he is. And that really is what he is. He's a guinea pig because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's going on yet. By the way, I <clears throat> shouldn't say that because some of you go off. Doctors don't know as much uh, about our bodies as they think they do either. You know? <clears throat> I have a dreadful fear. You know the way we look back on them putting leeches on people's legs to make them well? We might say, that's gross. Who, ever, who in their right mind ever thought that could help anybody? I think when, you know, <clears throat> further down the road, we'll be looking back on some of the things they're doing to us today, and we'll be saying, how could that ever have helped anybody, you know? Because <clears throat> you tend to go with it. But really what they're doing is they're, they're looking at you and saying <clears throat> they can help you based upon the fact that they're hoping to have a good effect upon you. Right? Now, look, <clears throat> they don't know, but there is one who knows. There is one who knows and who knows how, what's wrong with you and who knows how to help you. And you can be complete. Now, we're going to look at what complete means, but it means to be whole. To be a full Christian, to be a mature Christian, you can be a complete. Somebody suggested before we started the service that I, that I should put in there, uh, one can be a complete Christian. Well, I don't want one to be a complete, complete Christian. I want you to be a complete Christian. Right? You can actually get this down. Uh, sometimes we look at it and we say, ah, oh, yeah, well, you know what? If, if I was born to it, that would have been great. You know, I've been born in a Christian home and raised in a Christian home and all those things have gone right in my life. That would have been great. But since I wasn't, it hasn't happened for me. And I'm just muddling, muddling along as best I can. Do you realize that God has a plan for each one of us to actually be the complete Christian? Be that full Christian. Right, let's read James. We're going to read just a short part of it because we're going to be in this book for uh, several weeks, right? James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, 
Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us tonight as we look to your word and help us, Lord. Help us to walk with you and help us to know what it is to be complete, to be full, uh, to be the mature believers that you want us to be. And Lord, just move in hearts, I pray. Lord, I pray you'd give us hope and give us a vision, Lord, for being able to achieve these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The problem, what's wrong with me? Why can't I ever seem to get it all together? Is there no way to get a handle on the Christian life? Well, Christian, is there? What is the object of the book of James? Just that, to help you to get a handle on it, to help you uh, to become the complete Christian. The solution is to teach the Christian to solve problems. That's your, your first word there, solve problems, so that he or she will become a mature Christian. All right, now, now catch a thought there before we go any further. You have to solve problems. See, we look at problems at being the enemy of maturity. If I didn't have these problems in my life, I'd do okay. But the problems are not obstacles to maturity. The problems are the means of bringing us to maturity. Now, there has to be a, a, a switch inside our heads that kind of clicks. Uh, and we've got to come to the place where we recognize problems are not the enemy. Problems are actually from the Lord to enable us to be the mature believers that he wants us to be. Right? So we have to catch that thought first of all. right? And the promise that you can be a complete Christian. James calls the mature Christian a complete Christian. That's your second blank there, a complete Christian. The Greek word in verse 4 is the word uh, teleos. Translated in our Bibles as the word perfect. In modern Greek, teleia is a period or a full stop. Similarly, a mature person is one who has completed the maturation process that extends from childhood to adult life. Right? Now, let's think about this, this idea of maturing. Right? You know, when we look at a baby... We, we expect a lot less from a baby than we do uh, from an adult, don't we? They, they, they have a lot of ground to cover. They have a lot of things to grow, and they have a lot of areas that they've got to add to their lives and grow. And, and you know, we expect that. We reckon on that. We look at a baby who's making a mess and so on, and we say, ah, look. Right? Now, when they get to be an adult, we expect them to have grown up. We expect them to be, there to be more to them than that. That's in the human uh, arena. Now, when it comes to believers, believers come into the church, they're just saved they're out of the world, and, you know, the world is hanging out of them and causing them problems and issues and difficulties, and, you know, they've made wrong choices and put themselves in bad places and so on, and that's fine. You know, we need never to get to the place where we expect perfect people to walk in the door, because we're not getting perfect people to walk in the door, right? And any, the, the longer we live on this planet, the worse it is, and the, and the more messed up people are. But when they walk in the door, they start a maturing process. They start growing. Now, take it back to our physical maturing. You know, we have a baby, you know, that needs to be burped and needs to, the nappy change and needs all those things. And that's, that's fine with, with us. You know, uh, they're made cute, so we love them and we want to do those things for them. If you have a teenager that needs the same, that's no longer fine. 
Uh, you know, it, it, it does happen from time to time, but that's no problem. This child is sick. This, this, this child is in trouble. You know, uh, the same is true spiritually. When you come in, it's reasonable that you should be in the place where you know, listen, you don't know which end of you is up. You don't know what, what Christianity is about. But then you start maturing. And if you start maturing, you should be growing and moving ahead. Now, what would stop people from maturing? What would stop them from growing and, be, and, and becoming complete or become, becoming mature? Help me here. Get you thinking here, right? <clears throat> what would stop people from maturing? Sorry? Yes, yeah, spiritually. Okay, if their faith is hindered, right? <clears throat> and they're not trusting God. Okay. Uh, that definitely, that's going to hinder. We're going to look at that tonight. That's definitely one area that would hinder you. Anthony? Okay, not willing to give up your sinful lo- life. In other words, not willing to make the right choices. That's definitely going to hinder you. Fear. Okay, fear of changing, fear of the difference uh, in our lives. Josh, tell your mom and she, 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 she'll tell me, right? Uh, anybody else help us here? Not reading the Bible. That's definitely going to be. You can't, listen, if you don't eat food, you can't grow. Right? That's right, Joshua. You just, you, you, if you don't eat food, you can't grow. Um, what about this? What about a wrong expectation? What about somebody who says, ah, I'll never be that. That's all right for them, but I'll never be that. I'll never get there. I've, I've got too much against me, and I've got all these problems and issues and difficulties in my life. I'm never going to get there. I'll just, I'll, I'll just have to accept where I am. This is my lot in life. Does that happen? Yeah, that happens. Now, <clears throat> listen, if we were depending upon you and I to make us the mature believers that we're supposed to be, that would be a reasonable conclusion to draw. But we're not depending upon you and I to do it. We're depending upon the power of the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit of God is Almighty God. So then He has the power and the ability to change you no matter where you start. In fact, the reality is that the further back you start, uh, the more glory goes to God for changing you. But we've got to get over the issue of, you know, well, listen, I can't do it because, you know, I have all these problems and issues in my life. No, no, can't doesn't operate here. You can. You can do it. It's God's plan, and you can do it. You just need to uh, set your heart on it, set your focus on it, and let God begin to, to change you, right? Okay, did you get those um, blanks there that I gave you in, uh, under, under letter A, number one? Uh, <clears throat> the Greek tilly is a period or a full stop. Similarly, a mature person is one who has compl- completed the maturation process that extends from childhood to adult life. Right, the second word of the couplet, couplet is olouklepos. Olouklepos, right? Uh, <clears throat> this word is translated entire. It refers to something that has every part intact. Something that has every part intact. It's all together. Every part is intact. Everything is full. Right, so as far as your Christian life is concerned... God wants you to be complete or whole or mature. He wants you to have every part intact. What would that look like? What would it look like if you were a person who was complete or entire and you had every part intact? Who said? Every. So which? 
perfect. All right, that's what we're talking about. Perfect. What would that look like in a person? What would that look like? Christ. Right? That's what it would look like for us. It would look like Christ. Now, remember, that's the plan. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, you're all familiar. No, you're not all familiar. Look at Romans chapter 8. Keep your finger there in James because we're staying there, right? Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now, catch that word there, predestinate. It's a very strong word. What does it mean to be, be predestinated? Have I said to you, came, came in announced tonight to, to you tonight, uh, I am predestinated to die tomorrow. What would that mean? Yeah. I'm going to die tomorrow. Now, it's rubbish. Uh, but I would be saying, listen, that's it. Now, you know, that it's predestinated. It is decreed by God. God has planned and set this up, and it's going to happen. Right? Now, take a look at the context that's used here, right? <clears throat> For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, let me ask you a question. Right? Does that mean that he, has, he hopes you'll get to look like Jesus? Does that mean he's, he, you know, he's kind of, you know, really wishes you would want to look like Jesus? No, he plans. It is your destiny to be like Jesus. Do you realize that everyone here that's born again will ultimately look like Jesus? Every one of us. Every one of us will look like him in character and in person and will will actually become uh, in the image of Jesus because he is conforming us to the image of his son. That's the plan. That's what he's doing in your life. He is conforming you to the image of his son. So he's doing a work in you. So that's your destiny. So here's the point I'm making. It is your destiny to become a whole Christian, a complete Christian, a mature Christian. Every one of you here, you've got to grab that. It's, it's not God's plan, you know, for there to be, you know, uh, well, some that are really going to make it and some that are not going to make it. And some poor people are just rejects. They just hang in by the skin of their teeth. No. He plans for all of his children to be mature to be whole, to be complete as Christians. That means you. He wants you to be a complete, whole, mature believer. You say, but I got these problems. Listen, he knew you had these problems. He knew the issues and the difficulties in your life. He still planned. In fact, he more than planned, he decreed. He predestinated you to. That's what he expects. That's what he plans. And ultimately, that's what he's going to get. I mean, when we shall see him, we shall be as he is. Means, listen, we're going to be like him. It's going to be completed in the day that we see him. We're going to be like him. But that's the plan. He plans for you to be. So, listen, lift your sights. You're not looking and hoping that you can just hang in there. Or that you can, you know, you know, be around some people who don't have such a high standard so you can just, you know, be easy in your Christianity. 
You're looking at Jesus Christ, and that's the plan. God has planned for you to be like him, and God is able to uh, put the power into the situation to make you like that. So, so blow away the cobwebs and the, and, and, and the things that hold you back and say, I can't do it. Yeah, you can. And, and don't tell anybody they can't do it either. Don't we do that sometimes? You know, we tell people, well, bless your heart. I mean, listen, you're doing great just to be here. You know, what we're doing is we're looking at the flesh. And we're accepting what the flesh can give. That's not the way it is. The way it is is God's on the job now and he's going to change people if we let him, if we cooperate him, and he's going to change us rapidly and we're going to become like Jesus. It's cooperation, right? <clears throat> okay. Um, James immediately after this idea explains that the complete Christian lacks nothing. One who lacks nothing has everything that he or she needs. Now, it's getting to the place now where we're listening, listening to this. Now, that's kind of nice, isn't it? You'd like to be one of those people that lacks nothing, that has everything that you need. You'd like to be one of those people who, for, for whom Christianity was, was good. It was easy. It was a blessing. James wants us, next line, James wants us to be aware of and identify just what it is we lack. What do you lack? What is it that you lack as far as Christianity is concerned? What is it that you lack as far as maturity is concerned? You want you to look, look at your life and recognize, hang on, this is missing. And this area is missing. <clears throat> this, th- this area is not right. You see, this, I got this problem here. And that, that area is not right. Now, when we lack, when it's not there for us and we're not getting it right, what's another term for that, another word for that? Sorry? Failure. Another word for failure? Sin. Ow. Now, don't be afraid to call stuff sin in your life. Listen, don't be afraid to look at something in your life and say that's sin. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. God helps sinners. We, we, we fight against letting ourselves see ourselves as sinners. Jesus Christ helps sinners. <clears throat> and he can't help you until you recognize the fact that you're a sinner. <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> if, if you are in the, in the habit of stealing, is that just a problem you have? Or is it sin? Sin, isn't it? It's obviously sin. Okay, uh, if you are in the problem of if you're in the habit of being angry, is that just a temperament you have, or is it sin? It's sin. Right? Uh, if you have a problem with a lack of love, is that just your temperament, or is it sin? It's sin. You got you got to call sin sin. You got to identify the areas where you lack. Right now, look at Job. The book of Job with me here. Now, James <clears throat> is possibly borrowing from the idea of wholeness here. Uh, <clears throat> and in Job 1 1, he's declared to be a perfect person, right? Look at Job 1 verse 1. 
There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Right? Look in verse 8. God says it about him. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and eschewth evil? All right, now let's talk about Job here for a minute. <clears throat> God, God, God knew Job very well. He was his servant. He was a perfect, mature man. Uh, and uh, by the way, was Job perfect? In the sense that we use the word perfect. Was he? Now hang on a minute now. That's a, that's a, that, that's a, uh, <clears throat> a question that catches you. Was he perfect in the sense, what do we use the word perfect to mean? Okay, he wasn't perfect. He was what? He was human. Okay, he wasn't human. When we, look at, when we talk about perfect, we use the word to mean everything is just exactly as it should be. It's all A's. Right? It's perfect. Was he? No, he wasn't. How do we know he wasn't? Because if he was perfect in that sense, God wouldn't be doing the work he's going to do on him. You see, God said, Job is mature, but I'm going to mature him more. Right? Do you understand that? That God was going to bring him on more. Look, can you have a mature 12-year-old? Yeah. They would be mature for a 12-year-old. They would not be mature for a 40-year-old. So Job is mature at this point, but God's going to make him more mature by the time he's done. God's going to grow him, and Job's going to know he's grown. Job's going to be blessed uh, by this growing. Now, I want you to notice that the the phrase here in verse 1 says, One that feared God and eschewed evil. What does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear God? To reverence God? Okay. How, how, how would that play out in life? How would it play out in life if I really fear God? Okay, do you to him? I would be afraid to do wrong in case it would displease him. Yeah? I would be afraid in my life. I, I wouldn't want to do wrong because I wouldn't want to displease him. I would be very aware of God and I wouldn't want to displease him. I would be living my life uh, trying not to upset him, trying not to please, displease him because I, I want to keep him happy. I want him to be happy with me. I want him to be pleased with me. Right? Okay? Uh, and eschewed evil. Eschewed evil means to hate evil, to kind of run from it, to want nothing to do with evil. Right? So Job feared God. He wanted God to be pleased with him. And he refused to do wrong. He just ran from doing wrong. Now, let's think about it for a moment. Is that hard to do? Those two things hard to do? They're very basic, aren't they? They're very basic, you know. <clears throat> um, to, uh, I mean, I, I, I doubt that I have to convince any of you that <clears throat> it's a good idea to please God. Right? <clears throat> that you should want to please God, that you should be afraid of displeasing Him. I, I don't think I have to convince you of that. And <clears throat> the idea of hating evil 
kind of follows hard on the uh, on the uh, tail of that. So that's not hard thought to get in your mind either. They're very basic, and they are the basis of who Job is, these two things. He fears God, and he hates evil. So he constantly is on the... <clears throat> on the lookout to make sure that the things he's doing please God. And he's constantly hating evil and running from evil. He doesn't want to have any part in his life. Now, he doesn't feel cheated or shortchanged because he's got God. He feels that what he's got is better than what he's running away from. Now, let me ask you, though, do you hate evil? Do you eschew evil? Or are you kind of okay with evil? Are you somewhat okay with it in your own life? It's okay, it's just the way it is. I know I don't get it all right, but nobody does. I'm fine. And the kind of an attitude we have sometimes is God will have to be happy with me. Or God loves me. Now, look, God loves you. But does God love sin? God does not love sin. And God never makes compromise with sin. God hates sin. So when there's sin in your life, God is not happy with it. God is not some benevolent grandfather or, or Santa Claus that sits in heaven looking down at you and saying, Ah, Musha, uh, he can't do any better. When, you, when, when we sin, God hates it. It grieves God. It hurts God. So if we want to be these mature, the, the mature Christian, we have to come to the place where we fear God and we hate evil. Now, and we've got to get to the place where we hate it more and more. You know, when Paul said in the New Testament, Paul said, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. He's using present tense. Why would the apostle Paul think he was the chief of sinners. Why would, why would he think that? I mean, Paul, you're just, you, you know, you're just being ridiculous here. Obviously, that's not true of you, Paul. Why would the Apostle Paul think he was the chief of sinners? Because he could look at himself and he could see the areas that were wrong, that were lacking, that were missing in his life. They caused him distress. <clears throat> he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Now, we don't like that word wretched, and we don't like the idea of being wretched. But we have to face the fact that sin is wretched. Oh, Lord, it's wretched. I'm wretched. Lord, will you deliver me? We have to be in that place. You see, we want to coast in Christianity, but the problem is coasting in our Christianity never brings maturity. We've got to come to the, down, down, down to dealing with it. We've got to get to the place where we hate evil. Now, if you hate evil, what do you do with the little sins? You hate them. It's not a case of Asher. No, you hate it. You start coming down on God's side of it. You see, <clears throat> we'll look at being double-minded in a minute, but the, the heart of being double-minded for us in this thing is, you know, we look at sin and we think, but it's fun. I'm not going to do it because I'm a Christian. But, oh, it's fun. 
That's not eschewing evil. That's not you coming to the place where you hate evil. That's not you coming to the place where you really despise it. That's, that's you saying, well, look, it's fun. Or we say, well, it's the only thing I can do. And justifying it and hating it can't happen at the same time. <clears throat> We've got to come to the place, the understanding of, listen, it's, it's awful. And you say, well, <clears throat> how much sin is, is acceptable in my life? Now, isn't that honestly where we come to? How much sin in my life is acceptable? What, what can I get away with? That's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. Eschewing evil means I hate it. I run from it. It's kind of like, <clears throat> how many rats are safe to have living in your house? None. You say, but, but I can't get them all. It doesn't matter. You keep trying. You're getting rid of them all because you hate them. You know, you never look at the rat that comes out from the, from, from, from the hole or under the door and say, ah, oh, but isn't he cute? No, he's not cute. He's a rat. Right? <clears throat> but <clears throat> when it comes to sin, we have some sin that comes in under the door and we say, ah, oh, well, it's kind of fun. And no, nobody can be perfect. Don't we say that? Nobody can be perfect. Nobody can be a Christian all the time. Nobody can get it all right. You can't be too hard on yourself. And we make excuses for ourselves and for other people. And the problem for us is what we do is we short-circuit God's plan for maturity. We short-circuit it. God plans to make you like Jesus. And by the way, God making you like Jesus is a blessing. The more like Jesus you get, the easier life is. The more like Jesus you are, the sweeter life is. You walk with your Father. Listen, it's a sweet place to be. When you hold on to sin, what you're doing is you're holding on to something destructive. Something that hurts you. Something that doesn't help you. Something that's getting in the way of what you want. Did you ever do that in your life? You were getting in, the, getting in your own way of doing something. That's what we're doing when we hold on to sin. You say, what sin? Any sin. You know, I, I think most people have in their minds kind of a... <clears throat> Grades of sin. There's wicked sin we would never do. Right? Adultery, murder. Oh, we never do that. We're Christians. Right? And then we put those way up there. Those are the way up there sins. A little lying's okay sometimes. A little stealing. Well, you know what? This is a, this is a crooked world and you can't really manage in this world uh, without a little bit of stealing. You know? And we have certain sins that are okay. But God says they're all horrible. God says... Hate them all. Job eschewed evil. He hated it. He would have nothing to do with it. And that's where we need to be. We need to hate evil. We need to have nothing to do with it at all. Okay, over the page, right? So what is God's plan to build this completeness? Enduring trials. Now, I know you didn't want to hear that, did you? Uh, God wants you to endure trials. God wants you to go through trials. As Shakespeare wrote in Hamlet, to be or not to be, therein lies the rub. To be or not to be. Listen, if we're going to be complete, 
Trials are par for the course. See Job here in Job chapter 1. <clears throat> you know, we, we just looked at him there briefly. But <clears throat> Job is going to be made more mature. How is he going to be made more mature? A horrible trial. He's going to lose everything. He's going to lose absolutely everything that's of value to him. It's all going to go. But he's going to come out knowing God better and think it worth it. And, and don't mistake it. The, 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 the aim of what God is doing in Job's life is not so Job can have double what he had in the beginning. That's prosperity gospel stuff. The double what he had in the beginning is just, that's nothing as far as God's concerned. What God is aiming at for Job is bringing Job into a deeper relationship with him. Making Job more mature. That's what God's working. That's why God brings that trial into his life. And the trial is essential to it. So trials in your life are essential. Would you stop fighting with the things that God wants to use to help you? Stop fighting with them. Don't we get frustrated with the trials in our lives? We just get frustrated and bent out of shape and it's not fair and we want to change. Don't we? Listen. God wants to use it in your life to make you mature. It's the plan. It's not poor me. It's not why me. It's the plan. Somebody put it this way. Somebody said <clears throat> that we don't, don't change because of the light. You read something in the Word and you say, oh yeah, I want to be that. We don't change. We change because of the heat. When God puts enough heat on us, then we begin to change. And <clears throat> trials are part of it. All right? Now, um, <clears throat> look at number one there. The positive dynamic of going through trials in order to test a believer's faith is God's way to make his child complete by integrating his life. That is bringing all the proper parts of your Christian life together. All right? Let me describe you to yourself, right? <clears throat> Here you are in LifeGate Bible Baptist Church on a Wednesday night, and <clears throat> you look at your life, and you've got this area in order in your Christianity, and you've got this area in order in your Christianity, and you've got this area in order in your Christianity, and this area is totally out of whack. Right? <clears throat> this is just wrong. You're just living wrong in this area. But you look at this area and this area and this area, and you say, aren't I doing great? And everybody but you knows, hey, that's a problem. Because you choose to focus on the areas that you're doing well in. But, hey, that's a problem. That's, that, that's a difficulty in your life. Right? And you see, God wants you to pull it together. He wants you to be a Christian. Through and through. All the time. Every day. In the home, in the church, on the job. In your marriage. He wants you to be a Christian all the way. He wants you to be somebody who's really got it together. Who's actually been pulled together, because you don't pull yourself together, you're not able to. But he wants you to be somebody who's real all the way. But we in our, in our <clears throat> wild imaginations think somehow, look, it doesn't have to be all together. It, you know, <clears throat> that, that's too much. And so we're all over the place. We're, what's the opposite, by the way, of being integrated? disintegrated. <laughs> We're in bits. <laughs> that's what it means. And very often that's exactly what we are. We're in bits. 
We're looking at a few areas that are going right, but we're in bits. And other people can see it oftentimes much more clearly than you can. You can. Look at B. There are, however, negative works that we need to be aware of that have a disintegrating effect. Right? <clears throat> right? There are negative things that let the difficulties, the trials, the problems in our lives have a disintegrating effect. Right? <clears throat> Number one, James says that double-mindedness or doubting God and his word destroys our stability in every area of our lives, unstable in all his ways. Right? Now, do you ever doubt God? You say, no. I believe God is God and I believe he loves me. And, but do you ever doubt him? What about those times when you actually take something into your life that you know is not what God wants for you? What are you doing there? What are you doing when you sin? When you take something in that you know is not what God wants, what you're doing is you're saying, I know what you think, God, but I can't do that right now. I need to do this. In other words, you don't know what you're talking about, God. And you doubt him. Now, understand this, that doubting God is not a feeling, and doubting God is not just a predisposition, and doubting God is not just something that's of my temperament. Doubting God is a choice. We choose to believe, and we choose not to believe. It's a choice. You make a choice. How did Job get to be this tower of a believer? In the Old Testament days, he's one of the patriarchs with as little light as he had. How did he get to be this tower? He just chose to believe. He chose to trust. How are you going to get to be a mature believer? You're going to just choose to believe? Can you choose to believe and feel differently? Of course you can. But you choose to believe and you do what God tells you to do anyway. So you do right. You do what God says. Not what you feel like. Not what the pressure is on you to do. Not what you've always done. You choose to believe and you choose to do it God's way. And that's a victory, by the way. Every time you do that, that's a victory. Every time you do that, you get stronger. Those little areas, in the, and by the way, there are no little areas, but they feel, seem very little sometimes to us. Just a little decision that we've got to make, and I, I decide to choose God and depend upon him in it and do what he wants me to do, even though, man, it may cost me everything or it may cost me a lot. And I choose to do what God wants me to do. You know, God smiles on us. Those choices are huge. You grow. You know, I'm convinced that people don't grow uh, mainly by the choices they make in a place like this. It's the choices they make during the week. The choices they make in day-to-day life, that's what makes somebody grow. That's what makes somebody really get hold of it. I mean, it's great to come to church and hear the word preached and to make, make good decisions, but all day long, every day, you're making choices. And you're either making choices of faith to believe God, and the more you make choices of faith, the more you believe God. But a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, what does it mean to be double-minded? You know, you look at the decision and say, yes, okay, Lord. But on the other hand, there's this. Well, 
let's be the right thing to do God's God, do it God's way, but you know that's very hard. You know, and and so and so said that it was okay to do this, and the other person said no, I should do this, and I don't know what to do. I think you know, I, I just don't know what to do. And you're unstable in all your ways. Now, think about somebody who's unstable in all their ways. If if somebody walked into the room who's unstable in all their ways and tried to walk down the aisle, they wouldn't get very far, would they? They'd fall on top of Willie, and then they'd come along, and they'd fall on top of Frags, and then they'd come along a bit, and they'd fall on top of Michael. You know, they'd, they'd be unstable in all their ways. They'd be falling around the place. Right? Now, some of you, in your Christian lives, you're unstable in all your ways. You're falling around. And you're going to continue to fall around until you drive a stake into the ground and say, no, listen, here, here's the day, here's the moment. I believe in God, and I'm doing it His way. Now, you can't say, I believe in God and I'm doing it His way most of the time. That's not the decision that you need to make. That's not going to make you stable. Now, listen, you may realistically fail. You may not get it all right. You may miss it. But the decision in your heart has got to be, I am doing it God's way. That's the way it is from now on. I am driving a stake in the ground here. I'm from now on, I'm doing it God's way. And you know what happens? If, listen, if you say those words to you in, in your own heart, you feel yourself getting stronger. They're powerful. Choices we make are powerful. Powerful. 